Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website. They do a great job. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the decisions from this uh, term of the Supreme Court. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's written several books. He's got a new one coming out. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us. It's coming out on the 25th. That's just a few days from now. We'll visit with uh, Professor Bell as well. It is July the 22nd, and on this day in 2003, you may remember U.S. Army Private Jessica Lynch, a prisoner of war who was rescued from an Iraqi hospital, received a hero's welcome when she returned to her hometown of Palestine, West Virginia. The story of the 19-year-old supply clerk who was captured by Iraqi forces in March 2003 gripped America. However, it was later revealed that some details of Lynch's dramatic capture and rescue might have been exaggerated. On March the 23rd, 2003, just days after the U.S. invaded Iraq, Lynch was riding in a supply convoy when her unit took a wrong turn and was ambushed by Iraqi forces near uh, <laughs> Nasirfia. Anyhow, uh, 11 uh, American soldiers died and four others besides Lynch, Lynch were captured. Lynch, who sustained multiple broken bones and other injuries while her vehicle crashed during the ambush, was taken to an Iraqi hospital. And on April 1st, she was rescued by U.S. Special Forces, who raided the hospital when she was being held. They also recovered the bodies of eight of Lynch's fellow soldiers. Lynch was taken to a military hospital in Germany for treatment and then returned to the United States. Her story garnered massive media attention, and she became an overnight celebrity. Various reports emerged about Lynch's experience, with some new accounts indicating that even after Lynch was wounded during the ambush, she fought back against her captors. However, Lynch later stated that she'd been knocked unconscious after her vehicle crash and couldn't remember the details of what happened to her. She also said that she had not been mistreated by the staff in the Rocky Hospital, and they put up no resistance to a rescue. When they, when they came in, critics and Lynch herself charged the U.S. government with embellishing her story to boost patriotism and help promote the Iraq War. In March 2003, received a medical uh, honorable discharge. She collaborated on a book about her experience, I Am a Soldier too, The Jessica Lynch Story, which was released later that year. In April 2007, she testified before Congress and had false, she had uh, been falsely portrayed as a little girl Rambo and that the U.S. military had hyped her story for propaganda reasons. According to Lynch, I'm still confused as to why they chose to lie and treat me, uh, tied me uh, tried to uh, make me a legend when the real heroes of the, my fellow soldiers that were there that day, in fact, legendary, she said. She added, the truth of war is not always easy to hear, but it's always more heroic than the hype. So interesting, that story. So, you know, we want to create myths immediately about our heroes, don't we? Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 142 new cases of COVID-19 and two additional deaths in Cuyahoga County yesterday. The total COVID-19-related deaths increased to 109, with a total of 8,076 positive tests out of 51,660 tests confirmed. A total of 542 people have been hospitalized at one point or another during, in Collier County. Uh, most of them, of course, have been released. So uh, the Florida Department of Health is not reporting how many people have recovered from COVID-19, of course. So Collier County commissioners passed the mandate to slow the COVID-19 spread. This is kind of a sad story, in my opinion, but we're going to live with it because we elected these folks to serve us as our Collier County commissioners. But remember, when did mandating slowing the COVID-19 sp spread, uh, when did that become a priority? I thought it was flattening the curve, which meant hospitalizations. But uh, nevertheless, masks are now a must in businesses and most other buildings 
open to the public in unincorporated Collier County as officials beset by rising coronavirus cases try to slow the spread of the virus. Commissioners on Tuesday, a week after a similar vote failed, voted 3-2 to pass an emergency order that requires owners, managers, employees, customers, or patrons of a business in an unincorporated Collier to wear a face mask or a face covering while in that business. The ordinance, which goes into effect immediately after op- applies to all nonprofits, government buildings, and facilitate public interactions and conduct business. The rules will sunset on September the 3rd unless commissioners determine that the order ought to be extended. Uh, Commissioner Penny Taylor is a swing vote here. Uh, she changed her vote, and here's her quote. Basically, I listened to my constituents, she said, and they want mass. They don't feel safe. So we're caving to fear because, quite frankly, uh, my doctor told me that, frankly, uh, masks don't do anything to prevent the spread. They just make people feel safe. And the, the reason to wear them is to accommodate your neighbors uh, and just play into the, uh, <laughs> into the fear that they have. The ordinance passed Tuesday includes a number of exemptions and does not apply to the cities of Naples and Marco Island. However, the cities could vote to opt in as well. Places of worship and schools serving children under the age of 18 are excluded from the mandate, which is so interesting because Cuyahoga County schools are requiring masks for kids coming to school. Uh, per the ordinance, masks will not have to be worn by restaurant customers or patrons while dining, although you have to wear them when you go in there. Gym patrons, uh, as long as they're six feet apart. Barbershop or beauty salon customers. Uh, as long as they're, it does, that would uh, interfere with their services and business owners, managers, employees who are in an area of business that is not open to the public. Bar patrons, will, while consuming beverages and their food, are not required to wear a mask, and guests inside the hotel are not required to either. According to the ordinance, the owner, operator, manager, and employee of a business or lodging establishment has to make sure every individual in that establishment complies with the ordinance. It, uh, the ordinance also notes that when a customer asserts that he or she has a disability that prevents from wearing a mask, the business may exclude them but must accommodate them by providing curb service, delivery, or other reasonable accommodation. Enforcement of the ordinance, now this is interesting, will fall to the county's code enforcement, not to the sheriff's office, which basically means that it's uh, compliant-driven or complaint-driven. Uh, so, in other words, you could get up to a $500 fine if you don't comply. They'll probably, code enforcement will come out and uh, give you a warning, and if you still don't comply, they, they have an ch- opportunity to find you. But notice, it's not the person that wearing the mask or doesn't wear the mask that gets fined. It is the business. So, uh, that's so sad. Too, by the way, President Trump yesterday urged uh, Americans to wear a mask to help fight the spread of the coronavirus. We're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask, he said. Whether you like the mask or not, they have an impact and they have an effect and we will need everything we can to uh, get through this thing, he said. Trump recalled, however, that the uh, federal doctors once advised against wearing masks, but he said that he now supported the idea after professionals changed their guidance. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't know. Just common sense suggests, suggests to me that when you're wearing a mask for a period of time and you are uh, got your own spittle and all kinds of things in your face, that can't be healthy. There's a reason why we're constructed the way we are. We inhale and we exhale. And when we're exhaling, we're exhaling carbon dioxide, but probably also getting some contaminants out of our body, including the virus probably, but uh, irrespective, uh, people are getting, you notice in uh, California, a couple months after they put in a mask requirement, uh, coronavirus spread increased by 165%. So that doesn't indicate to me that masks are slowing the spread, so to speak. Now, in a new daily cases of coronavirus in Florida dipped slightly below 10,000 only for the first time in a week. Governor Ron DeSantis still found re- Tuesday reason to declare we're turning the thing back in, in a good direction. Uh, so uh, I just really appreciate him and his guidance, his leadership. Because he's staying focused on the curve. He said the state continued to have sufficient hospital capacity, even though he's been forced to dispatch 1,400 contracted health care workers to help with staffing, particularly in severely strained South Florida. Uh, That's much better today than it was two weeks ago, and I think it'll continue to improve, DeSantis said. Good for him. 
Seven months into COVID-19 panic in the United States, state governments and media outlets continue to publicize confusing, misleading data on the spread of the virus, perpetuating fears that deaths from the viruses are skyrocketing on a daily basis. So uh, Florida Department of Health publicized one number. Here's uh, the department on Thursday announced 156 deaths in one 24-hour period. The number was touted as frightening new record by media outlets such as CNN and the Miami Herald. Yet the, on Saturday afternoon, the actual number of deaths confirmed for that 24-hour period happened to be 58, roughly a third of the record that with the State Department, State Health Department touted on the website. The department on its website notes that death data often are significant delays in reporting, so data within the past two weeks will be updated frequently, they said, on the website. Indeed, the death counts have risen on the state's dashboard since Thursday, though only moderately so. So what information can you trust? I mean, here, you know, of course, the media is fanning the flames uh, of fear about this and uh, grabbing information that's often incorrect in order to do so frightening this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at johnson's air conditioning naples longest established air conditioning company visit johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by naples illustrated bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles the website is naplesillustrated.com coming up we're going to visit with bob levy constitutional scholar and chairman of the cato institute we're going to be talking about supreme court cases decided in this last term that and more right here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the bob harden broadcasting network I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best 
and great summer programs going on right now as well. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, as I mentioned before the break. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G, on the web. I encourage you to visit Cato.org. Now, Bob, uh, the Supreme Court now has ended its term. I've been looking forward to this conversation about what cases have been decided and your thoughts on them uh, about the policy and so forth. But what's your overall reaction to the court's most recent cases? I think Chief Justice John Roberts <clears throat> appears to have succeeded in his goal to have the court uh, perceived as principled rather than politicized. Uh, the key decisions this term uh, weren't um, victories for all the liberal block or all the conservative block. Instead, uh, to use uh, former Judge Michael McConnell's words, uh, they protected the right of individuals and institutions to be different and to teach different doctrines and to dissent from dominant cultural norms. Um, most of the decisions um, were 7-2 or 6-3 instead of along the predictable 5-4 lines in the court. For example, upheld the right of a gay person to be free from discrimination in the workplace, uh, thus appealing to the liberals. But it also upheld uh, religious exercise rights, uh, the right of a religious order not to imply, uh, provide employees with coverage for contraceptives, uh, the right of religious schools to participate in scholarship uh, programs. Gorsuch and Roberts occasionally sided with the liberals. Mm -hmm. Justices Kagan and Breyer occasionally sided with the conservatives. So I'd say all in all, it was an interesting and diverse term, a success for Chief Justice John Roberts. So interesting. Well, of course, another thing it might be is that they're actually looking at the law as opposed to the politics, which is actually their job. So uh, tell us about Refreshing. the yeah. Tell us about the immigration case involving the uh, quote-unquote dreamers. Well, as you recall, Congress refused to pass the DREAM Act on a couple of occasions. President Obama implemented uh, the equivalent of the DREAM Act by executive order, and then President Trump uh, tried to uh, reverse that. And the issue for the court in a case called Department of Health uh, Human Services versus uh, uh, University of California and Trump versus NAACP, um, I said human services, I meant Homeland Security, whether, whether DHS's decision to wind down this, uh, what was called DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, but effectively was a DREAM Act, whether that decision by President Trump was lawful as an executive order. And the court held uh, five to four that Trump's executive order is invalid. Mm -hmm. And what Robert said was, citing with the liberals, by the way, he said, because the DACA program is more than just non-enforcement, that, 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 that is, it actually changes the law. Therefore, its rescission is subject to review under what's called the Administrative Procedures Act. So the court effectively said Trump couldn't do it the way that he did do it. This was for Congress to do, or if the executive wanted to do it, they had to do it under this Administrative Procedures Act, much more formal proceeding mm. than Trump attempted. Yeah, I think he's going to take another run at it, though, isn't he? So, uh, so what did the dissenting opinion say about this? Well, Thomas wrote the dissent with uh, three other conservatives, and he said DACA was illegally implemented by Obama, and therefore it should be uh, terminated. Mm. And my own view of the matter, by the way, is that the administration followed the wrong tactic in this case. They should have differentiated between those portions of Obama's original actions that were arguably okay. Mm -hmm. And that would include, for example, prosecutorial discretion and deprioritizing the removal of certain classes of people. Mm. And since they were okay, they, they could be reversed by a Trump executive order. Those have to be distinguished from Obama's actions that were illegal, mm -hmm. and that is bypassing Congress and granting temporary status and benefits to certain uh, immigrants. They could be rescinded, by, but only by following these much more formal procedures through the Administration Procedures Act. In effect, what the court did is they required Trump to jump through a lot of hoops 
to shrink executive power, but exempted Obama uh, when he expanded executive power. So I, I think the decision was mistaken, uh, hmm. but it did rein in executive power in Trump's case. But as I mentioned earlier, I think it did open the door for him to take another run at it and do it the way the court wants. He may do so. Uh, of course, the overwhelming opinion is in favor of the Dreamers, so it's a politically sensitive issue. Yeah, so interesting. So there's two really important religious uh, cases this term. Uh, could you uh, describe the cases involving the school choice? This was a case litigated by the Institute for Justice, uh, on whose board I serve, and uh, this involved what's called the Blaine Amendment. Uh, in the early 1900s, uh, there was <clears throat> a an amendment passed in a lot of states that was anti-Catholic, uh, and it basically said no direct or indirect aid to religious schools. Mm -hmm. And this was litigated in a case called Espinosa versus Montana Department of Revenue this past term. And the issue is whether it violates the religion clauses of the First Amendment or the Equal Protection Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment to invalidate a generally available and religiously neutral <clears throat> student aid program. In this case, it was a donor tax credit, simply because the program afforded students the choice of attending religious schools. Now, you may recall some time ago, uh, back uh, more than uh, almost 20 years ago, the, the court said, there's no establishment clause violation that is intermingling church and state as long as the purpose of the tax credit program is secular, as long as it's neutral, that is, it doesn't advance or inhibit religion, mm -hmm. as long as students have a choice, it's not coercive, and as long as government doesn't get involved in curriculum uh, decisions. So that case said it was okay to include religious schools without violating the Establishment Clause. This new case, this term, was whether it's okay to exclude religious schools without violating the Free Exercise Clause, the other religion clause within the First Amendment. This sounds like a big victory then for school choice, for sure. Uh, wasn't there uh, another recent case about excluding religious organizations from government programs? Yes, and there was just this past uh, couple of years, and the uh, the, the court relied on that case. Uh, it was a case called Trinity Lutheran, and the church wanted to access uh, a Missouri grant program that helped nonprofits resurface their playgrounds. Missouri refused, citing its, its state Blaine Amendment that barred aid to religious organizations. But Chief Justice Roberts, in a 7-2 opinion, said, if you have a generally available public benefit, you cannot exclude an organization based on its religious identity. Hmm. That imposes a penalty on the free exercise of religion. So discrimination based on religious status has to pass the most rigorous level of scrutiny, and Missouri's policy in that case did not. I mean, it's not a lot different than if Missouri had said, we're going to provide fire and police protection, but not to churches. Obviously, that would not be permissible. That's so that case was cited in the new case, and it's a big plus uh, for school choice, as long as the funds are not used for a religious purpose. So how did the uh, Trinity Lutheran case affect the outcome of the school choice case? Well, Robert held in, the, in this new case that it's unconstitutional to block a school choice program simply because some families will freely choose to attend religious schools. So the states can't discriminate against religious options if they have a generally available educational choice uh, program. So as in the Trinity case, excluding religious schools from public benefits solely because of their religious status triggers uh, the court's strictest scrutiny. Uh, in dissent, Justice Ginsburg with uh, Kagan said, look, Montana eliminated the entire program so that there was no religious discrimination. Um, <clears throat> that's true, but Montana used religion as the basis to cancel the program, and that, said the court, was unconstitutional. Just uh, That's just a big step forward, I think, for parent, parents' choice and school choice, so 
it's Those, a huge step, and we're going to see it played out in lots of other cases across the country because these Blaine amendments are pervasive, yeah. and they are, in effect, overturned by the court. Bob, it's so refreshing to talk about policy and laws opposed to politics. <laughs> we just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, to our listeners, check out Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and uh, author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppin, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, hey, I understand you've got some interesting uh, and uh, news that I haven't heard about, about uh, uh, hepatitis C. Well, it's an important issue. First, I'd like to mention to you and your audience that I am wearing a face mask during this interview, Bob. So <laughs> I, I know, just want you to know you are protected. Um, I have a, uh, a close situation where a family member is incarcerated in a New York State prison. He was diagnosed five months ago with hepatitis C, and Based on that, I started to do some work as to why he wasn't being treated. I found out that almost, well, no, forget almost, no one in the, in the American prison system is being treated for hepatitis C. Wow. One prisoner in seven has it. Ninety-seven percent are not treated because of the, the cost. Uh, the only time they start treating it is when it reaches almost a near-terminal circumstance when the liver starts to, starts to collapse. So here we have people incarcerated. They're not there for, uh, as, a, as a life sentence or a, a death sentence, and they're not being treated for what is a terminal disease. And I, I, I just find that personally outrageous, and I think as a citizen, I find it outrageous that that many people in prisons are being neglected in terms of a, uh, a disease that can kill them if it's, if it's ignored. So uh, I just wanted to mention that to you and to your, uh, to your audience, Bob. 
So I don't know much about hepatitis C, but is there a treatment for it? There is a treatment. Uh, right now, the treatment of uh, choice costs about $90,000 uh, per person. They're working on another one that would only cost, I say only, that's a $20,000 cost. Uh, even at that level, the state prison system does not have the fu- or the national prison systems do not have the funding uh, to treat hepatitis C because of its uh, its prevalence in the prison. Now, it, it does tend to be more prevalent because in the prisons themselves there is a uh, a use and exchange of dirty needles. I don't know how they get these things or use them, uh, and or, and they also are, are tattooing. So tattooing is also a source. But in many cases, these people, these prisoners, bring this in with them. Uh, and now they eventually get released, and they're going into the large society with a contagious disease, hepatitis C, and the amount of hepatitis C in America is, is dramatic. So I, I just think it's a, uh, it's a major issue, one that the, the public, as I, as I said before, has very little awareness of. Uh, the, the latest research I've done shows in late 2019 what I am telling you is true. Now, if something has changed since then, I can see nothing uh, that would indicate that that is the case. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a, a situation that's a bad statement for our, for our culture and for our country to uh, recognize that this is happening, Bob. And it's so ironic that the big response is to whether they fear that uh, prison inmates are going to get coronavirus, so they're releasing them in California, among other, other places. So uh, it's, the irony there is just palpable. It's unbelievable. Hepatitis C is by far the most dangerous uh, disease element in the American prison system. COVID-19 uh, doesn't even have a, uh, a mark on the, uh, on the, on the graph. But hepatitis C is is the big deal in American prisons, and again, uh, it being ignored. So I, I don't want to uh, persist in this conversation because you know I I don't know where we are in 2020. I do know my relative is not being treated though after five months after diagnosis. That's, so uh, it's a serious situation, and I think it's an ongoing situation that. Uh, deserves attention within state legislatures and within the federal prison system at the federal level. Uh, so again, I, oh, well, I thanks for that. bringing that to our attention, uh, Andy. So you know, uh, before I'd like to talk to you a little bit about "quote unquote" diversity. Before I do, any comments about the, the passing of John Lewis? Well, look, John Lewis is a uh, is a civil rights icon, and, and is similar to uh, John McCain. Uh, he had a moment of glory back in the civil rights movement of the 60s, as McCain had as a prisoner of war. And I think then we've extended that kind of iconic status into a, uh, a broad-based acceptance of everything they've done, everything they've said. Uh, I make the point, and I've made the point in the past about John McCain. His influence was negative. I make the same point about, about John Lewis, and in the uh, essay I wrote, I list, uh, seven or eight elements of his career where he was obviously divisive, including calling John McCain himself and Sarah Palin racist. He described America as going back to uh, to Jim Crow. He described uh, uh, President Trump's presidency as illegitimate. He described it that way. I also had a feedback from a friend of mine who was a congressional chief of staff uh, at the point in time when there was a uh, a Tea Party rally at the Capitol and the uh, Democrat members of Congress marched past them. The Democrat members said that uh, the Tea Party members used the N-word and spit on them. Uh, this was a rally being led by John Lewis and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, the feedback from this friend who was there at that moment said, I was in that beautiful crowd rally in 2010. Lewis and Pelosi falsely accused us of spitting on members of the Black Caucus as they walked over a small bridge from their office building to the Capitol, mocking us. Uh, we, the leaders, were literally stunned by their lies. We had asked that no posters with the name or photo of President Obama be displayed. I personally never saw one. We were respectful of the office. The mainstream media reported the accusations about racism by Tea Partiers as facts. And uh, this, this report that I get from this person who was there says, it was on that day in 2010 that the Tea Party movie, uh, movement ended as the members uh, did not want to be described as being racist or bigoted. So um, I I just merely uh, feel that uh, we have to be honest about the the people in our environment. Uh, I have no intention of diminishing the contribution of John Lewis as a civil rights leader. Uh, On the other hand, uh, he was not somebody who could be attacked in life, and certainly uh, he's no more attackable uh, after his uh, death. 
But on the other hand, we have to recognize the, the impact that these people have had in our society. And I get back to John McCain also. So yeah. uh, this is not a racial comment about Lewis, obviously. I right. But he, here's the thing, Andy. I mean, the, you know, the fact of the matter is that, that, yes, what he did at that time was courageous. And to, to your point, he should be acknowledged for that. But there's nothing as so useless as yesterday's newspaper. Every day we have to go out and do new things, and we should be held accountable for what we think and do every day. And uh, to your point is this, the halo effect exists for John McCain as well as John Lewis in the sense that people say, well, because he did something great before, we should listen to and acknowledge everything that they're saying now. That's just not true. There's no wisdom associated with prior heroism there. That's why I titled the piece that I wrote on Lewis, The Past is Not a Pass. In other words, you don't gain the right to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, and damage the society as much as you, uh, you, you desire, merely because you have a, a glorious moment from, from your past. So, right. um, I think we have to start to acknowledge actions that as, as, as discrete moments, heroic actions as discrete moments, and we have to start dealing with reality as it actually occurs. Uh, no, well, thank you for that, Andy. Hey, I want to talk to you about diversity as well. Can you stick around? I will be here. Buddy. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I did a little shout-out to St. Matthew's House. And uh, Lulabee's Diner does a great job of supporting St. Matthew's House. And uh, they're located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Great for breakfast or lunch. And now that this shopping area is getting a, a re redo and uh, they're refurbishing and so forth uh, just a real special uh, shout out to Lulby's go visit them have breakfast or lunch uh, we have with us again continuing with Andrew Joppa professor and author of Josephus of Oz again Andy thank you so much for joining us good to be with you Bob so Andy oh, excuse me uh, so uh, there's a lot of um, discussion around diversity these days, Black Lives Matter and uh, the call for people to equal treatment and so forth. Uh, this is a very sensitive issue, but we need some clarification, on, and I love the columns that you've written about this, so maybe you could tell us about it. Well, I think all other issues we're dealing with of this sort are all derivatives of the concept of diversity. Now, the word itself is taken on an almost, excuse me, religious connotation in America. You say diversity and uh, people are supposed to uh, genuflect to this word diversity as if it's inherently good. Mm -hmm. I make the point in my essay, I start with the point that uh, diversity is easy 
what is hard is unity. Uh, now, we have totally bypassed the, the essential ingredient for a society and for a corporation that unity is where we have to be, uh, have to, where, where we have to be heading. If that can be achieved with legitimate diversity, and I say legitimate diversity is an incidental diversity produced, uh, when the best person for a job gets that job. And if it happens to be all black or all women or all Hispanic, I have no, no concern with that. I, I want the best person to get the job, but that is not what's happening in America today. Right across the broad expanse of, of government and a broad expanse of corporations, uh, diversity has taken precedent over unity and taken precedent over competency. Uh, let me just uh, before before you get uh, your, your comments, Bob, uh, a little background on on all of this, which I think for some of your uh, uh, listeners may be important. Uh, Back in the 60s, we started out with equal employment opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very valuable concept, which essentially says the best person for the job should get the job. Mm-hmm. That did not create the numbers, the racial numbers particularly, that were desirable. At that point, they moved towards affirmative action, where they would measure something called disparate impact. That's a very important phrase, Bob. Disparate impact means that as you're choosing from a population of people to fill a job or any, any particular situation, you measure the number of minorities in the community that is being drawn from, and you have to match that number in the organization that is filling their positions. That produces an inherent pressure to, to bring in people who are not competent. I, I, I point out immediately, for example, in the, in the FAA, many of the people, and I don't want to tell the people who are frequent flyers this, but many of the people who are in the control towers are not the best for their job. They are put there as, as minority members, not as the most competent air traffic controllers. Uh, we can see that across the broad expanse of America, uh, even in the, uh, the STEM world, the science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, the main pressure is not for competency, but it's for, for diversity. If we look at China, for example, that is pure, and China is a, a problematic society, no doubt. But their system is, is one of meritocracy. Mm-hmm. No one gets a job or a position in China unless they are the best qualified. If you add to that the, the meritocracy of the Chinese system, that they have five times our population, while we in America at 330 million are choosing people not on competency, but on uh, demographics. Uh, I think we can see the future is not a good one for America, using that one circumstance alone, Bob. Yeah, and there's no question about it. In fact, uh, a lot of colleges now have decided to forego the requirements for uh, people to take the actor SAT score, uh, you know, to be included in the selection of students. So they're going to go purely with this whole notion of diversity as opposed to qualification to attend the school which, again, is going to serve to, to uh, dumb down the entire process. Well, it's already happening. It's happening through the public schools and the universities. <clears throat> Once in my life, I was called a racist. I was running for the Board of Education, Bob, and I, I supported the SATs as one of many indicators of appropriateness of a person being placed or a student being placed in colleges. Yeah. Because of my support for the SATs within that limited uh, scope that I assigned it, I was called a racist because blacks consistently underperform on the SATs compared to whites and especially compared to Asians. So anything that measures blacks differently or negatively uh, is going to be rejected and uh, in described as being uh, a, a racial uh, barometer for, for performance. Uh, there's no doubt about it. That's what's happening. You described it, Bob. Hey, but any place that happens, any place there's black underperformance, will be eliminated mm-hmm. because, again, there's no way to overcome that, uh, that, that lower performance other than by eliminating the standard that, sh- that, that demonstrated it. Well, now here's the key point, I think, of this whole discussion. I mean, we know that this identity politics is serving to divide us, not to unite us, which is a big, big problem. And uh, focus on skin color and focus on uh, diver- diversity is the wrong focus. The ex- focus should be on excellence and unity, as you point out, and the irony about all this is while we're looking for diversity for skin color, we're looking for uh, eliminating diversity of thought. Well, that was the point of my, uh, one of the major points of my essay. I, I pointed out that back in the 50s and 60s, corporations were certainly dominated by white males, but there was far more diversity of thought 
mm-hmm. back in the 50s and 60s than we have now. If you go into a typical American corporation, there is a way to think, a way to act, a way to behave that is, that is prescribed. And if you violate that rigid code of conduct, you're going to be on the outs in that organization. Uh, I'm in the academic world. I know if I violated those codes of conduct that I would find my career, in a 40-year career, Bob, my career would be in serious jeopardy if I violated those codes of conduct. No, there's no question. In fact, uh, in, in today's news, a Michigan school f- teacher, and he was also a coach, well-liked about the student body, he simply said, Trump is our president. He tweeted that out. He says, uh, I'm done being silent. Trump is our president. He was called in and fired. Well, it doesn't take much. I mean, some of the <laughs> things you said, which are perfectly true, uh, accurate, um, and, and meaningful, uh, those remarks would be described as, as racist. If you use the word individual, if you use the, uh, the, the concept of, of individual performance, anything that, that uh, suggests that the individual is the appropriate measurement of, of a society, you will be accused of being a racist. You must invest yourself in the concept of of, of group identity. And if you are not willing to do so, Bob, you will, by definition, I'm using the U universally, you will be described as a racist. Yeah, so we need to get back to individual competence, to uh, organizations, if they're going to excel, they need to have the very best person in the job. And I'm not suggesting that diversity shouldn't be part of that. Uh, maybe in the consideration, you don't want uh, d- d- uh, discrimination based on skin color and those types of things. But we need to get back to promoting excellence and meritocracy, as you pointed out. I think it's just such a key point. Well, I mean, there's, there's no doubt, and I describe it in my essay, this is all very bigoted stereotyping. In other words, if we presume any black is as good as any other black, if we presume any woman is as good as any other woman, if we presume any Hispanic is as good as any other Hispanic. What could be more bigoted and stereotypical uh, type of action than those type of comments? And yet that's exactly what we're asked to do. We get back to Hillary Clinton said it's time for a woman to be president. Not a woman with characteristics, not a woman who has earned the right to it, but a woman. Perhaps any woman, perhaps Stormy Daniel would have sufficed based on, on Clinton's <laughs> definition of, of a woman's right to be president. You know, I appreciate this commentary so much. You can find, uh, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to post this on my website, your columns. You can go to Correct Me If I'm Wrong on my website, do the pull-down tab, and you'll find uh, Andy's columns uh, for the last year will be there as well. Andy, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. His latest book coming out on the 25th of this month, How Everything Happened, Including Us. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. 
Each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get season tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. As I mentioned before the break, he's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. actually founded the program there. Uh, he is also an author of several books. His latest coming out on the 25th of this month, How Everything Happened, Including Us, Professor Bell, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting the book. Uh, it's gonna. I guess it, it starts off and covers what's happened in the last few billion years up to uh, the present day. Yeah, it started even before me. <laughs> well, so I want to just encourage our listeners to, get, to uh, go to your favorite book purveyor, How Everything Happened, including us by Professor Larry Bell. So, Professor, you wrote a great column, which it, I'm just amused. The title of it is that I'm really okay with being an old white guy. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us about it. Well, you know, it seemed like there was a time, of course, maybe before my lifetime, that older people got a little respect, you know, and... Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was okay to be white and eccentric and smelly. You know, it was it was it was, it was perfectly okay. But recently, we've kind of come into assault because we're, it seems like we're, you know, we're uh, you know, just kind of <clears throat> outworn our welcome, I guess. Uh, and I said, you know, I I'm kind of okay with being being an old white guy because you know maybe people can make excuses for me. You know, I thought you know if they at the risk of offending anyone, I thought I'd just stop hating myself and <laughs> kind of try to get along. And, and, I, and I kind of mentioned that, you know, to me being woke is, you know, your heart got you through another night, you know. <clears throat> uh, so all of this stuff, you know, and, and if you look at the, what, what you know, it seems to be total insanity today, uh, uh, and the, you know, the weaponization of words, you know, Mm-hmm. Mostly peaceful parades means they only burn down four city blocks, you know, and 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 we've got this book out now, uh, White Fragility by a gal named D'Angelo, who, you know, it's very confusing for us because, you know, for us old white guys, because, you know, it's the kind of thing that we're all, we're all kind of systemically racist, but if you, if you deny you are, then it sure, you know, certainly you are, you know, and. It's kind of a kind of a no win, and I kind of look back to the days when, you know, at least maybe I was kind of naive, but I went in the military, and and uh, seemed like some of the people I admired most were most enjoyed working with were happened to be, I guess, black if you want to use that term, and I got to know their families, and you know, they they kind of mentored me, and I was an air traffic controller, and. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with a very positive view of life. So I guess kind of, uh, getting off to, you know, getting a little bit off into the weeds. My high school, we had, we had a, there was a, a fellow named Gordy Souls and he was, uh, he was black. We didn't, you know, it was a small town. We didn't have, we didn't have minority families to speak of. And he was the quarterback of the football team and he was, you know, the valedictorian and good looking guy, you know, and. And everybody wanted to be like Gordy Souls, you know. Gordy walked a little bit pigeon toed. And instead of, you know, it wasn't, you know, so everybody started walking pigeon toed. Not because, not because they were trying to mock him, but, you know, if Gordy Souls walks pigeon toed, my God, that must be pretty cool. <laughs> and that was, and that was my model. So I, 
you know, I, you know, I, yeah, there, I'm sure there's racism and I'm sure that, you know, you know, in the, there's racial division, uh, today for lots of reasons and, 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 you know, but the notion that we're systemically racist, I find very, very offensive. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's, uh, I, I wrote in the article, I mentioned this, this, this fellow from a little, little high school and, I think it was Michigan, and, and he's talking. He wrote an essay that I came across that talked about how they're indoctrinated today with this, you know, this this, this craziness. We got the 1619 project now, where you know history didn't you know, didn't begin with the Declaration of Independence. It, it happened in 1619 when the slaves came over. So we're, you know, we're just you know, uh, this this. Slavery thing is in our DNA, and we can't escape it. We're doomed. Yeah, I, I really dis—I really despise this attitude. I think it's anti-American. Anything's racist. I think that we're that we're seeing. Well, well, you know, this conversation we're having is racist, of course. <laughs> it's just, uh, but I think the the truth of what you're saying is, you know, individual relationships and people, people have, you know, it's you're you're not racist because of uh, what your relatives did or somebody. You are accountable for what you do. You're accountable, and I'm accountable for what I do, and I take have to take personal responsibility for not only my personal freedom, but for for uh, everything that I do, my behavior, and uh, you know. It's it's just ridiculous to put everything on skin color. How unimportant is skin color compared to competence, compared to relationships, compared to love? And uh, it's just so absurd right now, dividing us so much with this identity politics. Well, I think it's, <clears throat> I really have have more. I think it's more sinister than that. I I see the the Marxist sweep and that that we're seeing in this country and. First thing to do is to destroy the culture from within, mm-hmm. and you turn people against each other. And 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 I really, I really firmly believe that this is happening. I think it's engineered, <clears throat> and uh, I think it's wildly, sadly, it's wildly successful. Where, where you know, you you destroy a city, uh, country's culture. You know, you erase its history. You you cancel its history. You rewrite it. You write it. Rewrite it around uh, instead of. Uh, Looking at the achievements and the progress that we see continuing, uh, you know, constantly and on every front, <clears throat> certainly social, <clears throat> you know, you, you you eliminate that. You 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 erase the things that can be that are you know people are proud of, and you and you, and you uh, invade the schools. You know, you start with K through twelve, and you, and you get into the into the universities, and you you get into the the media. You know, and, and Chinese communists have done a great job of buying Hollywood. There's no question about that. They yeah. can, you know, and then you have you have the and that's not conspiracy theory. That's it's literal. And and so uh, you know you you have this front on every level. You have the media. The New York Times used to have you know, a reputation for being you know uh, you know informative and reasonably objective. You know it's it's a propaganda rag now. The Washington Post, and 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 some people get all our information from these sources. Right. And you think, well, you know, we must be a pretty terrible place in you know, this country, the U.S. And uh, capitalism, you don't think of capitalism having raised most of the world out of poverty. That's what we did as a model for for the world, and and it's twisted, it's upside down, it's scary. And uh, I think we should all be very alarmed by it. Yeah, uh, it, the world is upside down is a good way to describe it. It's just uh, so crazy. It's Animal Farm. I just recall reading that book and <laughs> the things that went on in Animal Farm. It kind of feels exactly where we are right now. To your point, though, it is, a, it is an attack on our culture, and we need to wake up. And, of course, this election coming up in November, in my opinion, is very, very important because the only thing standing between a complete socialization or making us a socialist society and our anarchy and uh, all the things that go along with it is President Donald Trump, quite frankly. I hope when people get into the voting booths, you know, this this, this hate Trump, you know, thing is is so powerful because it's constantly being fueled, this, this notion that, you know, you know, like his personality or his tweets or whatever, and 
But I think when people are getting voting votes and they, you know, I'm hoping they're saying, well, what about my kids? Do I want them to be safe? Mm-hmm. And do I want, do I want, uh, do, like this couple in St. Louis where you have mobs uh, breaking down your gate and, and threatening you, and then you, you're, you're served with an indictment, you know, felony indictment for defending your house. Yeah. And, uh, and these, these, these things we're seeing today, insane abuses of, 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 of law. We saw it with the, you know, the impeachment thing with, with Trump. And, and, and uh, at the t- same time, we're, you know, the nation's fighting a, you know, a virus and a pandemic. And, and uh, it's, it's been a hellish year. And, uh, and when you go in the voting booth, think about where, where we're going to be when we come out of this. This yeah. hell, and uh, and who do you want to be leading it? Do you want you know? Do you want Joe Biden? Yeah. Do you hate you hate Bush? You hate Trump enough that you want Biden? Yeah, unbelievable, uh, Professor. I just just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. You're going to find uh, uh, Larry Bell's uh, commentary and Newsmax.com. His column is on point. It's just really terrific. Also, looking forward on the 25th, I'm getting a copy of the book "How Everything Happened," including us by Larry Bell. Professor, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks a lot. It's a pretty good book. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going to have great guests lined up for tomorrow. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.